0: Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's biggest and best talk health radio station. Each week, we bring you the best news views and interviews with the founders, leaders, clinicians and CEOs that are changing the face of healthcare in the UK and beyond. Um, As regular listeners know, I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PocTalk, which is revolutionising the world of smartphone diagnostics. Um, And I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Thanks and welcome to everyone who's listening live on UK Health Radio. Thanks also if you're joining us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google Podcasts, or even through YouTube, our YouTube channel. Thank you very much for joining and listening after the fact. It's great to have you on the show. We wouldn't have a show without you, so thank you very much for listening. Um, Before we get into today's show, um, it's very exciting. This is the first show that we're doing after announcing our partnership with um, ZeroZilchZip.com. Um, who were the new show partner helping us put the show on Um, zero zilch zip are the UK's leading curated alcohol free and low alcohol drinks retailer online drinks retailer. Now, quite coincidentally, I decided to take a break from alcohol about 80 days ago. Well, exactly 80 days ago, nearly three months ago. Um, Today is is day 80. In fact, Um, I did it because I wanted to reduce my stress. Uh, my stress levels. Life's pretty busy. Um, got a lot going on. I also wanted to improve my mood. I found like I was getting kind of antsy and grumpy at times, so I decided to just give it a try. This was before we we were in touch with Zero Zilge Zip actually about partnering the show. I decided to do it. Um, I'm sure I'll go and we'll go back to drinking alcohol at some point, but but we'll see how it goes. So it's it's going okay. Um, but I spent hours and hours and and not a small amount of cash testing and trying out various non-alcoholic drink options, you know, from the supermarket, in the pub, or wherever. Um, you know, and and I had to kiss a lot of frogs, so to speak, before I found something that I liked. Now people will say like, oh, why don't you just drink water? Um, but to be honest, for me anyway, there's something nice and uh, about having a different drink, a special drink, having to make it in a nice glass at the end of the day, popping open a bottle, something like that. There's just something in there that in and of itself is a is different to the day-to-day of just going to the tap and filling up a glass of water. So I was really interested in alcohol-free, local, you know, basically alcohol-free drinks. So the reason why I love what Zero Zilch Zip are doing on their website is that they take all of the, the stress out of finding the drinks that you like because they've already curated it. So they have people working for them that have tried and tested all of the drinks on the, on the website and they basically hand-selected the best beers, ciders, spirits, um, and wines even and sparkling wines fizz they've got a lot of fizz options on there now um i wish i would found these guys three months ago because it would have made everything a lot easier for me um and they do these amazing um, zero zero zip do these fantastic selection boxes so you can go and you can choose a selection or they can choose it for you and you can kind of get a mix of everything sent to you um, they kindly sent one to the Pop Doc lab and each week on the show at the beginning of the show i'm going to review a drink a drink of the week we need to work out exactly what the right title for this segment is because drink of the week isn't very exciting, but we'll, we're going to call it drink of the week. So um, actually, we actually had um, one of my team or one of my team is going to do it from time to time because we're going to kind of if, if we have a cider drinker in the team, they'll do the cider and, you know, a wine drinker will do the wine. So it's sort of a fair, a fair test. Um, we'll do the review after we introduce today's guest, um, who is Jacob Beckley, who's the founder of Cure Token and also um, of the Beckley Foundation. Now on today's show with, with Jacob, Jacob's gonna take us through um, some super interesting areas that we've never touched on in the show before. Uh, really, this, this, the, the, um, he is sort of at the forefront of an intersection between pediatric, pediatric cancer research, ch- cancer in children, and the blockchain and NFTs for good. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. Um, the blockchain and NFTs have been in the media a lot, um, and there's a huge documentary at the moment around on Netflix, around cryptocurrency. Um, but what Jacob is doing, the angle that he's taking around using it for good, using it to fund research into pediatric cancer is something that I certainly personally hadn't seen before. Maybe it has been out there, but it wasn't something that I've come across before. So super excited to get into it. Jacob, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I can't, we can't hear you, Jacob. We've got, we got some sound issues. Are you OK? One second, everybody. Jacob was just trying to come back. While Jacob's trying to figure that out, um, why don't we jump in to the review of the week of the drink? And Jacob, when you feel like you've figured it out, you can just um, you can just kind of jump in. Um, and if you have to drop off and dial back in again, that's totally fine. Um, so this week, Steve's drink review of the week, which to be fair, we have to figure out the title for. This week actually isn't done by Steve, but it's done by Vlad. Who is head of R and D at the Pop Talk Lab, and is a committed, dedicated cider drinker. I don't think he'd mind me telling you that. Um, and uh, totally honest, he was a long-term alcohol-free drink skeptic. So when he heard about the sponsorship that we were doing, he wasn't. He, he was very very skeptical that alcohol-free drinks would even come close to the taste, quality, um, enjoyment of, uh, and not of an alcoholic drink. So. In the box that we got this week from Zero Zero Zip, um, we decided that there were some ciders. So instead of me tasting it, like I said, we gave it to the dedicated cider drinker Vlad, and he drank the crafty nectar craft cider. So after this, we're going to put all the information out on the social so you can see, um, including his like full unedited reaction, because it is absolutely incredible. But in summary, he loved it. He actually said word for word that he couldn't tell that the crafty nectar craft cider which is non-alcoholic. He couldn't tell that it wasn't alcoholic. It was nothing like a fizzy apple juice at all. He was very concerned that it would be like fizzy apple juice. He said it had this acidic tang, the same as, as, as normal cider, and he was genuinely blown away. So um, if you want to get the crafty Nectar Craft Cider or any other non-alcoholic drinks, check out zerozilchzip.com. Um, look at our socials. I think we've got Jacob back. Jacob, are you there?
1: I am. Can you hear yes, me Yes, Jacob.
0: We have Jacob. Look at that.
1: Well, this is what happens in the pandemic. We get to like be 100 virtual and lots of technology issues.
0: It's, it's all good. It tested my skills as a broadcaster. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, keep you on your toes there. So,
0: yeah, but, uh, but thank you
1: for thank you for having me here. I'm I'm really excited to, to talk about all of that blockchain and cancer, yeah. pediatric cancer and everything.
0: And and I, I am too because you know I've obviously been aware of the block the, the, the blockchain's been around for a while, you know, but in different ways. But I think that what you're trying to or are doing is a really interesting way of, of utilizing it um like a force for good which i think is really interesting so um as people know regular listeners know we do the show in three parts which is sort of the beginning bit is more of an origins piece and then the middle bit is all of the amazing stuff that you have done and are doing and then the end bit is how you yourself sort of stay on mission in what is obviously you know difficult times in a difficult sector um you know m- both emotionally and sort of physically hard to keep going so it'd be you know you, it's always interesting to hear entrepreneurs and, and their thoughts around how they stay on on their mission. So let's let's just start because I know that you've, you know, you've come to this health area through a really interesting angle. So what's your journey been like to this point and how did you start getting involved in healthcare, health technology, you know, that type of thing? So I know you're, you're kind of a technologist at heart, right?
1: I, I am. Yeah. So my, my day job is that I'm an executive vice president of technology, product and innovation for an innovation agency uh, in the U.S., and uh, so I've been working in this space for years, but working with brands, not in the healthcare sector, you know, so yep. it's in consumer packaged goods and it's, uh, it's in uh, business to business, things like that. But, uh, but my passion has always been, you know, charity, you know, nonprofit uh, philanthropy. And uh, in 2016, I started a nonprofit organization called Beckley Foundation, which its entire mission was about raising money for pediatric cancer research. And, you know, helping in any way that I could. And I've been raising money even before that. I think we raised about a million dollars, both personally and through the foundation since since the inception. And, you know, that was a a big passion of mine. So what... uh,
0: And where did that passion come from? Because I know that you, you know, you didn't necessarily have to do that, right? I mean, that's almost like you have your day job, like you say, which is probably quite difficult and you're doing amazing things. And then you just decided to do all of this stuff alongside it. So was there a particular... A moment or a trigger or a, what, 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 you know, what was the first thing that you did?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the trigger was, was that I recognized that pediatric cancer is highly underfunded. Okay. Uh, and, and working in innovation uh, for my career, I, I always feel that it's best to go to the root cause of an issue. And when you find that, figure out what the triggers are and problems are for that, that cause okay. that issue. And as you back up All of the problems around health today, around cancer specifically, I felt that the dollar would be better spent focusing on pediatrics. And, uh, you know, I I had met a very passionate researcher many years ago who who dedicated her life to pediatric cancer cancer research, and that inspired me. And I wanted to do whatever I could to support her research, but it has grown way beyond that at this point. And it's gone. How
0: how much did you know about pediatric cancer or cancer? Because, I mean, there there's. You know within healthcare there's a lot of nails out there and not enough hammers. And so, you know, what was that process like as to how you determined yourself that you felt that pediatric cancer was where you wanted to to dedicate your your efforts? I,
1: I think after after I met her, you know, and saw her passion, I started to learn a lot more. You know, I started to, to get involved with families. And I had met tons of families who were either uh, going through the process of a child with cancer or had lost their children to cancer. And I think that was the turning point seeing that, that this is such a devastating disease, not just for the, the patient, the child, but for the family and the communities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I, I truly felt like I could make a difference with my expertise, my experience and my passion for, for wanting to make a difference. I felt like I could. And uh, it's, it's those families that uh, that really inspired me to, to want to take it to the step, a step further and start the foundation. So I had, I had actually done a lot of stuff, you know, foundations do historical things. So like they'll host parties, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll do marathons, you'll climb mountains. Uh, and I don't want to do stuff that was a little bit different and create yeah. much more awareness. So like, for example, like I, I would twice now, I, I built a boat by myself. I'm not a boat builder. I don't know anything about <laughs> built and designed a boat and then okay. rode across a big body of water here in, in the U S which is Lake Michigan. And it was sixty-five miles across, twenty-five hours, non-stop. And I'm not athletic either. I sit behind a computer all day, you know. So it's <laughs> putting myself out there. And I, trying to how trying But
0: like, okay, I love this stuff because I, you know, I I haven't done anything quite as unique as that. But you know, I've raised money. One of my one of my friends died from testicular cancer. Another, of one of my friends, this is you know, in their early 30s, died from non Hodgkin's lymphoma. So you know, I can relate to the raising money, doing sporting events piece of it, even though I haven't built my own boat or even anything quite as and close to as, as amazing as that. But how, how did you come up with that idea? Like what, what led you to that? Cause you could, have, again, have done a whole bunch of different things. So yeah. like what, why build a, like where, where does that, how did you end up in that?
1: I, I was just trying to think of something unique, you know, and I, I the story is I woke up, I, I had been thinking for months, you know, and every year I was trying to think of something new I could do and get bigger and better and create more awareness, get more attention yeah. on
0: it. Well, cause I, I don't, know if it was the same for you, but I always felt like if you're going to ask people to put their hands in their pocket, you can't, you know, you've, you've got to keep upping it in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. creating more excitement, you know, making yeah. it a little bit different. So I woke up in the middle of the night and I just had the thought in my head. I'm like, I wonder if anyone's ever rode across Lake Michigan. And right. like, if you don't know Lake Michigan, it's it's a big body of water. You can't it's see the. Sixty-five
0: miles. Well, I live on Lake Geneva, and that's about seventy kilometers. So Lake Michigan's even bigger than
1: that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a big body of water. Very dangerous as well, because it's oh, at it the it? bottom. It's at the bottom of of the Great Lakes, so it's extremely unpredictable and okay. uh, very 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 much like an ocean uh, as wow. far as the waves. And uh, yes, yeah, so I woke up just like I wonder if anyone's ever done this. So I, you know, being the innovator technologist I am, I went on Google first stop. Yeah. And I said, I wonder if anyone's ever done this. Is it possible? I didn't even know what rowing was, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was like with a paddle or. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I just had to learn everything from the bottom up, you know, and okay. researched, researched it, researched it, researched it, and uh, and figured, you know what, this is something I want to do. And then I okay. had to figure out what boat am I going to use?
0: And yeah, of course, Did there's you no like, boat up there. I've got so many questions, but. I'm sure you've heard them all before, but did you start with a shell and build on the shell, or did you start from zero and build no, the boat from zero?
1: It was it was it started from it was built out of wood, so it started from wood, uh, just wow. raw wood. And uh, the first boat, I ended up I ended up getting uh, some plans online from uh, this Angus rowboats out in uh, okay. Portland. And uh, then the second boat, which I don't know why I did it twice, that was really stupid.
0: <laughs> why couldn't you use the first boat again? Why did okay, you have to build so- the second boat?
1: So the second time I did it with a, with a pro athlete, he had heard about the first row and he's like, okay. Hey, you know, if you ever do this again, let me know. All so right. it was uh, Charles Pinot Tillman. If you watch American football, he's, okay. he's a famous American footballer. Okay. And uh, so he wanted to do it with me. So we had to build a bigger boat. right? Because he's probably a
0: big guy if you played American football.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so we had to, we had to design it. So I designed it. I learned everything about hydrodynamics and wow. fluid dynamics and, just as much as possible about buoyancy and and center of gravity and center of, uh, of flotation, all these different things, this stuff I never learned. yeah. And, uh, and designed it and it actually came out looking really good. And then that's uh, cool. built oh. it nights and weekends. And then, and then did how long, that?
0: start to finish, how long did it take
1: uh, the row or the boat build, the build, the build about, about six months. Oh, wow. That's week. a
0: big effort. That's a big, yeah, effort. it
1: was, yeah, it was a lot. And it was nights and weekends and, Uh, inevitably, you know, you, I don't know if you know know much about boat building. I can't, I'm kind of, Uh, I mean,
0: I, um, I, um, you probably, I mean, so my parents were sailors, my grandfather was a sailor. So I've been in and around boat yards since I was a kid. I've never personally gone anywhere near any single boat making tool. I have witnessed other people that seem to be building boats, but that's as far as it goes. So feel free, please educate me.
1: Well, well, this, this process was called stitching glue. So you first build like, like the hull, the frame of the hull. Yeah. But you really don't attach anything, and then you start wrapping wood around it, big sheets of wood, you know, around okay. it, and wire it all together. It's all built with wires, and then wow. once you form it and you balance it and you get the shape and the perfect, you know, perfect balance, yeah. then you actually go and you glue it, which is done through epoxy, and you epoxy, okay. then you cut out all the wires, and then now you have your shape, and then you sand nice. so you can't sand anymore, and then you uh, and then you fiberglass it on the bottom, so it has. Oh wow! Pump.
0: You actually fully fiberglassed it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was. Wow. It, it, it ended up looking really good in the
0: end. So I, I mean, we could do the whole show about this, but I know there's a yeah, lot more to could. talk about. But I got. We. I know we can keep coming back to the boat at different points in the story. But I got one more boat question, and then um, was there. Was there like a, a moment, a point of like maximum danger where you're like 33 and a half miles across and you've got 33 and a half miles to go and you're like, I, were you, how confident were you in your, in your vessel basically the entire way?
1: Oh boy. No, nah, I'm not really confident, you know, so I mean, <laughs> the, the, the first time, the first time, the, you know, I'm thinking, oh boy, I'm going to put this in the water. The whole thing is just going to flip right over. You know, I, I wasn't quite sure. What, yeah. Cause it's not just
0: the buoyancy, it's actually stability as well right? Yeah. Like the tippiness of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how like from side to side and everything. So yeah, yeah. it was, uh, it was all, the whole thing was quite an experience, but, but that's an example of, of the kind of stuff that I always wanted to do, you know, just something yeah. different. And, but, that- and, the,
0: and the thing about that, that type of thing is like, you can tell, I mean, I know that we did have our pre-show production call, but my enthusiasm for that is natural. And I imagine that's replicated in anybody that you talk to about this story. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my goodness, that's so interesting. I've got so many questions like I'm immediately sucked into it.
1: Yeah. And that's that's actually why the the pro bowler and American football player wanted to come in. Charles Pinotone. He's like, you know, right. this is such a cool thing. I, like, <laughs> yeah. never heard of it. He's like, who would be stupid <laughs> enough to row across Lake Michigan? And oh. uh, like, you know what, if you ever do it again, let me know. I'll be your wingman. He pulled out the old top gun line. It's like, yeah, oh, nice. like, I want to do that with you. And, and, then, and Sorry, carry on. No, I was just, I was just gonna say it was, it was probably one of the best experiences of my life, but I think the mistake was doing it twice. You know, first time, (laughs) first time was, uh, was crazy. Second time was, I think, stupidity.
0: Okay. Well, you survived clearly. Yeah, Yeah, I made it. I made it. Um, and like, so I, you know, I, I've definitely got, there's an element of my personality, which is interested in doing kind of silly physical activities. So, um, I'm interested in like the mentality that gets you through 25 hours, because you said yourself, you weren't necessarily like a sportsman, but like, did you have to, did, did, was it just grit and determination? And you just kind of kept on plugging at it or like, how did you get through? How did you stay on that mission for 25 hours? Yeah.
1: And I think this applies a lot to my career, my passions as well. It's the same thing. It all comes down to mental stamina. You know, the reality of it is we trained or the first time I trained for nine months. Okay, I mean, this was a lot of rigorous training. You know, rowing, exactly. rowing on water, climbing—you know, just trying to build any sort of endurance. And uh, you know, between you and I, I mean, frankly, my body gave up two miles outside of leaving Michigan. Okay. And uh, you know, from that point forward, it was 100% mental, 100%. You know, so the physical—the physical aspect of it, your body turns the rubber; it just gives up. And then the only way you're going to get through it is if you have the determination and the willpower to do it. And then, you know, in my case, I was grateful enough to have. You know, the families of, of pediatric cancer patients and survivors and, and, wow. uh, and behind me, you know, and just the thought in, of them in their head and that any dad would have jumped in the boat and rowed across Lake Michigan without any training, without any support, just yeah. because you know if they could do that and get their child back, they would do it in a heartbeat. That's right. what was, driving me.
0: you know, it's right. the,
1: uh, that's, aspect.
0: that's, that's, that's an amazing, I think that's an incredibly, powerful statement right which is sort of like puts everything to perspective like what you know the scale of your challenge is nothing in comparison to a family that's lost a child
2: yeah
0: yeah wow. well look on that note we're going to do a short break for two minutes of commercials and we're going to come back because I want to really dig into first of all um particularly because there's a lot of people that quote raise money for cancer but you were very specific and I want to under and I know that you've gone heavily into the research aspect of it which I want to get into because obviously you're very very on top of where that money goes which i'm really interested in and then also how that's played into what you're doing now with cure token which i think i've not heard of this anywhere else i've not seen this anywhere else so i think we, we can have a really good discussion and we can educate all of our listeners about the blockchain and nfts um which will be good so look we'll be back in two minutes with jacob beckley ceo of the beckley foundation and of cure token
3: The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself on the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good.
0: Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with um, me, Steve Roos, and my guest Jacob Beckley, the CEO of Beckley Foundation and of CureToken. So, just before the break, we—I think—I probably got slightly overexcited about the fact that Jacob built his own boat twice and rode across Lake Michigan twice um, in order to raise money for pediatric cancer. So, I've got one question, which is um, around pediatric cancer. Cancer, p- even pediatric cancer, covers a huge number of different conditions in different places, different. Types, different illnesses, different children, different all sorts of different things. How have you managed to navigate that world and understand how to put your money that you're raising to the best possible use?
1: Well, you know, as I said before, you know, pediatric cancer is is probably one of the most underfunded uh, cancers, at least in the U.S. You know, they they receive four percent of funding from the government here. You know, and cancer associations. So a lot of the funding that goes into research is private sector you know, right, it's from, okay. you know, small foundations and, and, you know, people like myself or the foundation that just want to help it. And, you know, the, so I, th- I think the, the key is in ensuring that the dollar is going to someplace that's going to be used effectively. And that's why I'm grateful that I found uh, Dr. Mary Beth Madonna at uh, Lori's Children's Hospital of Chicago and Rush University. And she's doing such progressive research with uh, pediatric cancer. And, you know, specifically one of the one of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer is neuroblastoma. And that's one that I, I really want to focus on because, as I said before, you know, it's that innovation side. If you can focus on the worst kind of cancer, the deadliest form of it at its inception, that's where the breakthroughs are going to come. And, uh, and, you know, we've been able to provide a lot of support there, but, you know, as of late, uh, we've actually taken it a step further, you know, we've, we've done a lot more with, with cure token cure chain and, and research and all that and where things are going Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, you know, I, I still believe that we need to fund research. You know, there's no question about that, but I feel that if we want to be really effective in this battle, we have to enable research to be more effective. And that's yeah. the that we're on right now.
0: Right. And so why, um, why, why is it that, that um, in the U S at least, and I, I don't know the statistics outside the U S so I, I can't comment, but why, why in the U S at least is it, so underfunded relative to non-pediatric cancer do you think?
1: I'm not quite sure why exactly I just know that that's that's one of the problems it is it's it's what it is a lot of the money goes to to adulthood cancers uh Uh lung cancer uh, breast cancer obviously and all these are devastating so I'm not trying to say they're horrible diseases Uh, but but for whatever reason the the children uh, just have been a little bit neglected and overlooked Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of times because uh, the rarity of the cancers yeah. is probably one of the reasons it's not, it's not a pandemic of cancers yeah. uh, such as lung cancer or colon or breast cancer. Uh, but, uh, but I, 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 do feel that, that they need attention, you know, we need to need to put some funds there because I, I really do feel that that's going to be the catalyst for adulthood. Late stage cancers is all going to be affected by research yeah. on, on the most aggressive form and at its inception. I mean, this is, It's not a novel idea it's it's how you solve problems in real world in business and and in research even it's it's just where you need to focus so i think putting the spotlight on that putting more attention on it i think is is what's going to make the difference and that's been my mission for many years and and um, i'm trying to to take it even a step further now with with cure and and blockchain
0: so look, let's, I just want to clarify for everyone what neuroblastoma is, and then we can get to cure chain and blockchain. Just so is that a, that's a brain cancer, presumably neuroblastoma. It's, it's, a,
1: uh, it's a solid mass tumor. Um, it's actually kind of a misnomer, because you think neuro and you immediately yeah, think... Yeah, well,
0: that's what brain. I thought.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's like a geoblastoma, or a glioblastoma is more uh, brain. But neuroblastoma is actually a solid mass tumor. It usually settles in the uh, renal gl- glands, which is near okay. the, the stomach, and it attaches itself to spinal cord, for example, or the right. nervous, nervous system, very difficult to operate on uh, because it does, uh, it is extremely aggressive. And usually uh, when you do treat it, you know, you're able to have surgery on it, get chemotherapy and other, th- uh, other treatments, you, you, can, you can do well, but if you get it again, your chances of survival uh, decrease significantly. So it's, right. it's a, you know, of course, research has been getting better treatments have been getting, getting better throughout the years, but when we started, you know, raising money in this space, it didn't matter if you were a child or an adult, you were still getting adulthood treatments, you know, you were still getting, right? yeah, he were, was there, So there
0: wasn't any specific child treatment.
1: No, it was, you know, your, your treatment was the same regimen that would be applied to an adult with, with cancer. And okay. now, you know, research and treatments and, and therapies are getting much more tailored, much more customized for the individual, not just mm. the age group, which is, it's, you know, you think about that, that's. You know, it's crazy that we weren't doing that. And it yeah. seems progressive that we are now, but it's took a long time for that to even occur. Uh, nice. but, but yeah, neuroblastoma is, is, is the most aggressive form of cancer. So it's, it's nice. something to feel that focusing on, it's going to make that difference.
0: Yeah. Like focus on the hardest problem first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And cool. you start, you start chipping away at the problem, get rid of all the obstacles and barriers first, you know, the biggest ones, and then yeah. everything else is going to fall into place. It's-
0: and and who was it that you said? You said you worked directly with a hospital in Chicago. Was it? That, that yeah, there's, the fund?
1: yeah, there's a couple. So, so when the foundation started, we were funding a research lab at Lurie's Children's Hospital in Chicago, and that's <laughs> through uh, for Dr. Mary Beth Madonna, uh, who is a pediatric surgeon by trade, but would donate and dedicate all of her spare time toward research. And uh, she moved on to Rush University in Chicago, which is a, it's a great hospital uh, network in Chicago. And uh, we, we still fund a research lab there. Uh, but since, you know, over the past, let's say, uh, six months, seven months, we, we've changed this from just being a regional foundation, helping a regional uh, research lab. And now we've gone global. And now we're wow. supporting uh, families, direct family support all over the world uh, for families with uh, children with cancer in, in pr- pretty much every continent we've touched. Wow. And, uh, and research as well and then we started to say you know what let's let's pull back on the amount of research that we're funding and now let's focus on making a, a blockchain technology that can enable research to occur faster and more purposefully yeah. and, you know smarter. So let's
0: so let's talk about this go for it give us the give us the top line on cure chain cure token and then I'll ask a whole bunch of questions and explain everything, hopefully, and we can kind of work it out that way. But why don't you kind of kick us off well, and talk about it? Well, I think me, it's really
1: cool. Let me start about, you know, with, with Cure Token, because that's that's really what was the catalyst for all of this, you know? So I mentioned, you know, the foundation, you know, that when the pandemic hit, everything ceased to exist. You know, we weren't able to do mm-hmm. any of our traditional fundraising. We used to have parties and events and cocktail parties, in-person events, and all of that stopped, you know, looking back, you know, 20, 2020. You know, so, yeah. you know, at that point, uh, the foundation needed to think differently. So I combined my passion for technology and product and innovation and, and philanthropy and brought it all together. If you remember at the, at the height of the pandemic or at early on, onset of it, you know, cryptocurrencies really started to get a lot of visibility, you know, yeah, it was, the, that came out of the shadows and everybody was talking about Dogecoin, for example, you know, and yeah. Ellen Musk, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, so it, it became really relevant, really topical. And I, I felt that there was an opportunity to combine uh, the philanthropy with uh, cryptocurrencies so that was the inception for cure token and through a simple tax it was a four percent tax on every buy and sell of this digital asset that would go directly to the foundation to enable support for direct you know direct family support to help families in need because once you get a child with cancer you know it's not like you magically you know you're, you have no financial issues you have Tons of financial burdens overnight. So that's one of the, the missions of CureToken is to help families. But the second was to, to help fund additional research. So that, that enabled that to occur. What quickly happened uh, right after CureToken's launch is a movement started with the, the communities that got involved with it that felt like CureToken could be the catalyst for change. You know, okay. one, one change would be making healthcare affordable, equal, and accessible worldwide. Which is a a big and lofty goal. Uh, That's a
0: wise, especially big goal for 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 you guys the other side of the pond.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. With with such a great healthcare system over here, it's flawless. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. That's a whole different show. But anyway, carry on.
1: But uh, but that was one of the one of the tentacles that came off of Cure Token. The second was Cure Chain. You know, this is also every for the rest of our lives. We're going to be referencing the pandemic in all of our stories. So here's another pandemic situation. So, you know, I, I think all the time, you know, I work at innovations, my brain is just racing all the time, like connecting dots, trying to break down those barriers, trying to figure out how how to replicate things differently. And when you look at the pandemic, it's, it got me thinking, I'm like, how is it that we were able to come out with a vaccine so quickly? How was it able to be readily available and accessible at such a, such a a scale at which I'd never, nobody had ever seen before. Like, what were those triggers? What was the situation? How can we replicate it? And what, uh, what dawned on me is, you know, I had, I had categorized hundreds and hundreds of different variables that I felt were contributing factors to this. But when you start to, to create segments of those and categories, you start to realize that there's really three different things that triggered this. One is that there was access to data and that data in, in volumes of data that never existed before. And this isn't just medical data, but it was social media data. It was mainstream media data. It was, uh, uh, you know, obviously medical, from the government, yes. from health organization, it was all over, just a massive yeah. amount of data. Second thing was that researchers stopped working in these silos and pockets all throughout the world, which is, happens today. I mean, I can tell you some stories yeah. of researchers that I know that are happening blocks apart from each other, and they don't even communicate with each other and doing this yeah. exact same research. So so researchers kind of put all of their their issues aside and said, you know what, we need to work together. The third thing was motivation. You know, the motivation was how bad is this disease or, or pandemic going to be this virus is it going to yeah. kill me Is it going to kill my family members my loved ones so there was obviously a motivation in this case it was fear i think big driver but once you start to categorize this you can say you can start to see and say real quick how can i replicate that and uh, you know so so that's what was the inception for cure chain which is a dynamic nft blockchain network uh, it's it's uh, actually in development it's uh, proven nothing that we're nothing that we're building is something that hasn't been done before. It's just being connected in a different way and being brought to market in a way that is unique and hasn't been done before. So from a technology perspective, there's no real barriers, which is great to have, you know have something that you know you can build and something that you know you can bring to life without obstacles. Uh, the uh, the obstacle that I think we're gonna face is going to be adoption, but but we've got a lot of ideas around that and how to solve it, But but basically how this works is we are decentralizing uh, health data. Uh, so, you know, first, first party data, which is your medical health records. It's uh, You're like
0: electronic health records.
1: Yeah. 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 Exactly right. And making it easy through blockchain technology to provide consent. So, uh, but also, as, as most people know, blockchain provides not only this idea of consent and authority and accuracy and, you know, indisputable fact, but it also provides, you know, this idea of remaining anonymous, of, right. of keep, staying private. That's the value of the NFT, is that the NFT is tied to an individual. It's dynamic, which can be appended, data can be appended all the time to it, but it's not tied to Jacob Beckley as an individual you know, right. or yourself as an individual. It's this okay. idea of a person and uh, that there's a lot of value to that. The researchers mm-hmm. spend so much money on, on getting data, you know, obviously through first party through trials you know, trying to raise money to, to do trials, et cetera. But uh, they also yeah. need second and third party data, uh, which comes from a variety of different sources. But uh, but I personally have met hundreds and hundreds of families that uh, want to make a difference. And uh, they feel that by sharing their medical information, their child's medical information, more on a global scale, that that's going to give them uh, the uh, the reach that they need in order to, to help make a difference. This isn't the end all, but it's, it's going to help.
0: And then, carry on. Sorry,
1: finish. I was just going to say the last piece of this is: what is the incentive? How do you incentivize people? Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's a a tokenomic aspect to this, or incentive, financial incentive to the people who opt in their information. So very similar to earning: you own a Bitcoin and you start earning, uh, you know, some some residual income because you own a Bitcoin. It's the same thing. You're giving up Mm -hmm. your data. You should be rewarded for giving up your data and have allowing people access to it. The other piece is the accountability. You want to know what your data is being used for, and you want to know yeah. that it's used for the purposes. So that's another thing that the blockchain provides is that transparency around how people Audit, are. Active.
0: The auditability of it, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And then that that third piece, which was how do you incentivize the uh, researchers? That's uh, that's through bounties. It's through uh, you know collaboration. Uh, all, you know, the key is get them to work together towards a common goal. And that's all community-driven as well. So it's kind of flipping research on its head instead of working from, from the top down through you know organizations, health organizations, CROs, all the way down yeah. throughout the, the chain. It's working from community-driven, working up. And yeah. it's funding yeah. research from the community-driven efforts.
0: So let's dig into that a little bit. So w- one of the things that occurred to me when we first talked, which I'm, I know that you have an answer to this, but. Why specifically does this anonymized database of people's electronic health records, for example, why does that have to be, well, why should that? Why is it better that it's built on the blockchain as opposed to just the database using standard database technology that we already have?
1: This this idea is not novel. People have tried this before. They've, they've built databases of medical health records. In fact, one of our, uh, you know, our, our head of technology that's come on board is con- from a consultant used to work for the CDC for many years and did right. just, you know, and tried to build that. And there's a lot of groups out there trying to build that. And the problem mm-hmm. is it's not scalable. You know, you, you deal with with cloud-based infrastructure and with databases and, uh, you know, you're updating over here, you're updating over here, people are accessing, it's just not uniform. So we're right. we're not looking at something that is, uh, uh, you know, something that somebody builds and then, you know, somebody loses funding and somebody goes and rebuilds it again. I mean, that's the cycle. Right,
2: right. What right. we've
1: done is we're trying to build the the main platform that enables this to occur, and people will build off of this. This is going to be the standard for how research occurs through blockchain technology. So, and okay. and blockchain's providing is the transparency, the accountability, the proof of you know ownership. Uh, proof of um, you know the uh, proof of stake is another feature I mean there's so many different values that, uh, of which technology provides in this equation that a it's it's inevitable and I'm, I'm, I'm just to reiterate we're not the first ones doing this by any means we're the first ones doing it I think in the smartest way and focusing on research you know yeah. there's a lot of a lot of blockchain tech that's being used in healthcare you know a lot yeah and it's because it's proven and because it's you know the next evolution of, of healthcare technology.
0: And how, um, like if you, it, how, how would a researcher, so if a researcher wants to access somebody's records to include them in a piece of research that they're doing, how would they interact with this service? Would it be, as far as they're concerned, would it be a, almost like a simple web application that they might use to pull it down, but it's being pulled down from the blockchain, or would they have to do something more complex to access this information?
1: No, no, they, they wouldn't have to do anything complex. And we're trying to keep this agnostic. So, right. so they're trying to make it as, as simple as possible, but also as much of a utility as possible, which means it could be any of those things. It, you know, okay. it, it, there is no one aperture to access it. It's what right. is the need based on requirements, based on a specific situation. This is totally agnostic so that it can be accessed by existing systems. It could be accessed by new systems yet to come. Um, it's a, uh, it's just trying to build that middle layer of, of uh, the, the hooks, you know, to kind of the operations, the gears of the engine. And then, yeah. you know, the exhaust of it, how it gets leveraged is, is up to the end use case.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because you're, I mean, I, I asked a question that sort of knowing the answer, you, you know, there's, there are hundreds, thousands of medical databases already. I mean, there's an electronic health record system and, you know, like, there's there's been this drive around you know open access information sharing anonymizing that stuff all that kind of stuff it's happened in the UK as well I'm sure it's happened in the US but but you're you're right like the companies that are trying to do it unless the unless it's government funded then you're dealing with companies that are raising VC money in order to do that and who knows what and obviously they're raising VC money in order to do that because they believe that there's an economic payoff in there somewhere for what they're doing which obviously at some point is going to be a conflict of interest in some way shape or form um and it may not be that like they may not want to focus on research they want to use it for other reasons whereas actually if you build something that's agnostic then you know that's that that that's a lot more transparent and a lot cleaner it,
1: it, it is and you're, you're right about that there are companies that are doing that and they're looking to monetize this you know and yeah. that's that is a conflict i mean whose data is its yeah. it is it is it is it your data because it's your medical information or is it yeah. the healthcare providers' data because they took it from you? Or is it theirs because they manipulated it? it did some well, I mean, data.
0: I think HIPAA is pretty clear that it's your data,
1: right? It is, exactly. And which, so, which means a lot of things. So, so first off, you really can't monetize that, but you should be able to monetize that. If people are accessing your information or you want to grant them access to it, you want to yeah, get- so,
0: Yeah, so like just so everyone listening, HIPAA is the, is the um, US version of GDPR basically, mm-hmm. which is data security, data protection, but it's specifically about healthcare data re- record like that. And yeah, I mean, it's all about consent in effect, you know? And if, 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 if I want to sell somebody my healthcare data, I could, but you can't take it from me and sell it on my behalf without me giving you some kind of permission um, it, and it, having safeguards in place and right of deletion and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, and that, and that is the first gate of the innovation process that we're building is the consent model. For people to consent in, give access, remove consent, access the information. That's the first piece of this. And, and uh, that's been proven and we're, we're in a a mode right now where we're building a demonstrable version of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's already happening, and and this is super, super exciting. And the key here is instead of allowing companies to get there first and monetize your data, allow people to be incentive incentivized and monetize their own data first.
0: I think that makes sense. So, we're going to do our, our final break, short commercial break, and we'll be back for the final part of the show with Jacob Beckley, um, CEO of the Beckley Foundation and Cure Chain, Cure Token. We'll be back in two minutes.
3: UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself on the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health radio listeners can save 5% using the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk because nothing's better. station that makes you
0: feel good Good, good. hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's health tech hour with myself steve roost and our guest today jacob beckley who is the ceo of cure chain cure token so before we stop for the commercial break we would deep into understanding the cure chain which is um jacob's new innovation on how um blockchain technology can be used to um allow or to democratize the I guess scientific research progress medical research progress and make it available to all um, and and both for researchers and from individuals who can sort of opt in to do it so um what has the feedback been from researchers from the community from individuals like what what's the word on the street about what you're doing
1: well from a, a patient perspective um, you know I I work in consumer, so I, I call them consumers, even though they're not consumers, but consumers. Right, no,
0: in the US, they're definitely consumers. You could have a, an ethical debate about in the UK whether they're actually consumers because they, they don't actually pay for it. But yes, that's a different that's a but, different thing. But I, I would call them consumers in the US, but
1: please. So, so from that perspective, uh, people, I mean, I've asked a lot of people. Um, obviously, I get involved with patient families a lot, you know, through the foundation, meet a lot of families that uh, have a child with cancer or had a child with cancer. And it's resounding. Everybody says, if I could make a difference by sharing my information, if I could prevent the next child from getting cancer through sharing my child's medical records, they would do it in a heartbeat. They're not even in it for the monetary aspect, you know, the, of the, the NFT residual passive income. coming. Uh, but, uh, but outside of that community, I, I think people are interested in the concept of, of, uh, democratizing the, this whole this whole ecosystem and being able to get rewarded for doing so you know they're like yeah. my data is just sitting there or it's getting used without my permission
0: also like let's be let's be honest i mean how much data did we give up to the authority i mean i'm not a tin foil hat person by the way but how much data did we give up to the government just willingly or well we were obliged to do it through covid and we didn't even have a choice and we were just like have it here's all my information please give me a pass to let me go to a restaurant. You know, I don't know whether like in Europe, the the, the vaccine passports and stuff were everywhere. I don't know if it was the same in the US, maybe not. But um, yeah, like we gave up that stuff all up willingly. So what's the, what, what's really the problem here?
1: Yeah, I think people, the appetite for people to do it, it exists, whether they believe it or not or know it or not. You know, and, yeah. if they're, they're doing it every single day. Why not take control of that? Why not have more, uh, you know, more accountability take place? Well, not and also to- like, think about like,
0: if your health records are just sat there like 99% mm-hmm. of the time, just no one's looking at them, no one's doing anything with them. Like, why would you want, if you could, if you could be confident that it was truly anonymized right, and it was, and it was secure, there's no downside.
1: And that it was getting used for purposeful reasons. I yeah, of course. There, not yeah. being,
0: you know, I don't know, being used by, yeah, I don't yeah, know, yeah. Scrooge McDuck in his new... Yeah, you don't want or Big
1: Brother, or you don't want that idea that Big Brother or this big organization is now... Getting data about you personally, yeah, exactly. Your, I, know, right. I know, and there's all
0: kinds of ethical issues around insurance for people with certain conditions, and you know, job discrimination, and all kinds of different types of discrimination because that information is very sensitive. So it would have to be very secure.
1: Yeah, exactly, very secure, which it has to be because of PIPA and GDPR and CCPA and all these yeah. other underlying, you know, certifications and groups and, and processes that things have to adhere to. So that's yeah. a given. But the second thing is people don't want it tied to them. You know, the moment it gets tied to them, then they're like, "Eh, this is a little weird for me. I don't want to give Beckley's information to this group, but I'll be more than willing to give you the idea of this person's information. And it it takes away that barrier of of putting yourself out there, which a lot of people don't want to put themselves out there at the end of the day. Uh, So it disconnects the individual from the data, Uh, but keeps it relevant. You know, demographical data is extremely valuable. So you still need to know approximate age, ethnicity, race, gender, all these different types of things are variables which are extremely important in this data. But yeah. does it, do they need to know that it's you and this is where you live and this is your social security number? No, they just need to know approximately, you know, you live in this zip code potentially and that's enough.
0: Yeah. I know, I think it's really interesting. And so let's just go through um, the residual or passive income piece because I wasn't, I'm not totally sure exactly how that works with the NFT. So just, for the, my benefit and the benefit of everyone listening, how, how does that passive income thing actually sort of work?
1: So, so the way NFTs work and NFTs today, everyone knows them are like, you know, big ape yeah. monkeys, monkeys and apes. and Yeah, like pictures of things
0: and artists like just doing an NFT sale. And I think loads of sports teams have done it now.
1: Yes. Yeah. Sports teams, movies are going into this area. Yeah but it's the uh, entertainment and sports is the first driver of NFT and NFT technology. NFT has been around for a while. This is not a novel thing. It's just that it's getting much more spotlight because of entertainment and sports and and so forth. But the power of NFTs is much greater than an image or a spinning logo or a video. The power of NFT is is what you can attach to it, the data side of it. And, uh, you know, by leveraging a non-fungible token and making it dynamic, you can, you can append data to it, and it, and it creates value.
0: The how value much data can you, is there, like a, is there an upper limit on how much you can append? Like, um, in terms no, of because market, these are data these are, size, data packet size or anything.
1: No, because these are point records, so they're all pointing okay. to data points. So it's, right. uh, it's, there is no issue with uh, size limitations at all. It's just refer, uh, data point references. So, okay. um, but when you think about an NFT like a monkey or an ape, you know, very famous. Everybody knows these things.
0: Yeah. So I just want to really? be clear that he's referencing there's a very famous set of NFTs that is around monkeys and apes. Just there's so a, there's a go, lot of them. Not, yeah, we're not going off on a tangent about monkeys. It's they they're like a big deal in NFT. In, in the NFT land. space,
1: yeah. So if yeah. you know anything about NFTs, that's the hot thing. It has yeah, one
0: fun. of my one of my friends actually bought an NFT of a monkey. Um he, he and, has
1: and, it. and, and it's probably made some passive income because of it. And the and way how, that works,
0: how yeah exactly sorry. So the way that
1: works is is NFTs are actually smart contracts. So smart contracts are logical te- technical business rules you know, financial rules inside of code. That is right. in, uh, that is the NFT. It's a smart contract, and what that allows for is anytime somebody uh, sells it buys it accesses it you know all whatever rules you set up certain triggers can happen. So in the case of like an NFT of a visual NFT, when you transfer that to someone else, there's usual residuals. So like, let's just say you were a recording artist and you mm-hmm. created some song you're, you're going to own or earn every time somebody listens to that royalties, it's the same thing. NFTs have a royalty based system built into them if, if you wanted to, and that's okay. the passive income. So, so by owning Got it, it, it becomes more valuable. So like micropayments type of thing. Exactly. And then by accessing right. it, um, you can set up business rules that reward.
0: Every that makes sense. You, so like if you, you agreed to provide your date, your health record anonymized and a secure, let's just assume that that's hygiene factors table stakes for the, for the technology to work. And then every time a researcher or organization uses your record, then you, but you get some kind of micropayment.
1: Exactly. And then, you know, you could opt in to say, you know what, I want that to go to charity. I want that to go to a foundation. I want it to go to whatever yeah. purpose. It doesn't have to go directly to you or your wallet, uh, but uh, the, I guess the possibilities are endless when we start talking about the yeah, technology. But then, yeah.
0: but then like you get people like actually opting in. Cause I think one of the biggest issues that, that around this space, obviously with COVID kind of like you alluded to people, I think it was sort of, uh, they sort of were forced to volunteer information, right? Because it was sort of like, if you don't, then a, we might not get a vaccine and you you might be complete. Everyone will be completely, you know, in a complete pickle for a really long time and b like, you're sort of like strong-armed into doing it because you you want to get the pass to be able to go out and you want to be able to travel and get on a plane and
3: you know yeah, like you, you, you lose it, access it, it,
0: yeah it's like an illusion of choice it's like yes you technically do have the choice but you're you are sort really of not know. if you don't really whereas what this is actually is providing a a very good incentive there's a moral incentive which is you're helping there's a micropayment incentive and you can also determine that that then goes back into the research pot anyway or the charity pot anyway so I could see this being pretty attractive to people. Yeah, I,
1: I, I, think it, I think it will be. I think the gap here and the differentiator we have is that this is not a for-profit model. There is not, no, 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 not no, going no. to be a business that's going to make money on this. this well, no, is, not,
0: no, and I think, that's, I think that's critical because if you did try and make money on it, I think you would completely, you know, yeah, you'd nuts it up because of the conflicts of interest and stuff.
1: No, this is a non-profit nonprofit thing, not never going to make a dollar off of this. This is something that is for the greater good of humanity to, to create an ecosystem that's valuable to enable research to occur faster and breakthroughs to occur faster. And uh, this is, this is just the beginning of it, you know, data connecting that with research. That's, that's like layer one. I mean, there are so many future layers to the roadmap of where this comes together to really exponentially increase the pace at which research is occurring and this is, is just any, the
0: are there any vested interests that are sort of inherently against this type of democratisation is there uh, sort of any uh, headwinds
1: i'm sure there's going to be you know as, <laughs> you know i'm sure that's going to be a big barrier uh, right. you know but uh, but i think if it stays you know community driven if it stays you know built from the bottom up i mean you look for example uh, at uh, you know blockchain technology in general look at cryptocurrencies you know yeah. so when bitcoin came out you know Bitcoin, everyone was like, Bitcoin's bad. Bitcoin's bad. Stay away from Bitcoin. It's used by criminals and cast a really yeah. dark shadow. Now, everybody's using cryptocurrencies. Governments are getting paid and paying in cryptocurrencies. This is something that, saw, that, took yeah, 10, years. that.
0: Yeah, I saw a thing on the news just before the show. Like, one of the things Ukraine did at the beginning of the war is they opened up, they um, legalized Bitcoin and allowed people to donate money to their, war to their wallets. To yeah. Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, that's like a game. I mean that's the
1: thing. But that's because the banking system collapsed. Yeah. You know, you know, you lose Swift, you lose the ability to do wire transfer from bank to bank. That's a big problem. How do you get around that? You yep. go through, you know, community-driven, socially owned entities, you go through cryptocurrency. Yep. That exact same thing of this idea of a slow, a, a slow adoption that took place. now every single financial institution in the world is dealing in cryptocurrencies. But 10 years ago, everybody was like, no, stay away, stay away, stay away and yeah. that's that's not the future. The future of healthcare is blockchain technology. It's the same thing. We're going to be getting yeah. a lot of resistance along the way here, I think, but I think uh, because of the road that's been paved through decentralizing finance uh, and learnings, I think decentralizing healthcare is going to happen a lot faster and it's, you know, cure and cure chain isn't going to be, you know, the catalyst for that, I mean, maybe it's not going to be the goal or the end goal or the, the yeah. Ut- but it is going to be the catalyst. It's going to be the, the well, yeah, like to help ignite Yeah, it's it.
0: like you're, you're, like you say, you're chipping away, right? Like, yep. you know, you can't get to that place without going through where you are right now. Yeah, exactly. And someone's someone's got to do what you're doing right and, now, and you know, yeah, we're not paying you. You can't get to that other place.
1: Exactly, and we're not paving the road, we're just like clearing out the brushes a little bit. So, a lot of other people, like, yes, yeah. it's,
0: it's not going to be a private company that comes in and it's like, Hey, I'm going to democratize healthcare data and make it accessible for all. And it's not going to happen because they'll be a private company, it's yeah, not, not, not going to work. There
1: would be no way to make money, and it has to come from the private sector and no. to come from community driven initiatives. It, and,
0: and it's not going to come from the government because, like, for a variety of reasons, but like, th- and even if they tried, they'd probably completely mess it up. I think they have tried
1: and have messed it up.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, again, like you just, that's just not the right way to, that's not the right group of people to think about it. Like, if a government had got together and just thought about how to do cryptocurrency, I'm sure we wouldn't all be sat here talking about Bitcoin. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. Right. Um, Yeah. That would not have been a good outcome.
0: No. So, look, in the last few minutes of the show, because you've done some amazing things, I mean, rowing across the the Lake Michigan and things like that, and and, and you're dealing with some really heavyweight topics. How do you stay on, on that mission? I have a lot on my plate.
1: You know, I mean, I, my brain is always racing in so many different yeah. directions. And I, I think what keeps me going is is really two things. One is the, uh, the, the drive and the passion I have. I mean, it's just, it's, it's intense. I want to, to just capitalize on everything I've learned and all my experiences and make something better out of it. I dedicated my life to a life of service many years ago where I just, I'm like, you know what? My life is not about me. It's about others. And, this is the way that I'm bringing that to life, you know, is through the charity side, the philanthropy. And now what I feel is going to be the game changer in healthcare. But but what really keeps me going though, and uh, you know, this might be unique for this audience, but it's the the people I've met, you know, it's the families, it's the children that I've met, and they are inspiring. You know, they don't choose cancer, you know, they don't go to wake up one day and be like, you know what, I think I'm gonna go get cancer. It's it's not something you choose. It's something that you are unfortunately given. And you don't have that choice and to see how people are resilient and able to solve that, you know, like navigate that and get through it. But it, the only way they're able to do that is because of other people who've done it before them have been through their, those paths before. And the support networks that come around them in time. of need. you know, the financial support, the emotional support, mm-hmm. you know, so it's those families and those kids and those, those just those people that keep me going on daily basis. That's, that's
0: what's driving me. Wow. Jacob. I mean, look, you know, I thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, it's a, what you're doing is really powerful and really valuable. And, and, you know, your, your ability to, to stay on that mission um, is, is amazing and also and, and stay on it because you're doing so much good for other people. So, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you.
1: Well, thank you, Steve, for having me. I love it. This is awesome. Thank you for the platform.
0: Great. No problem. Our, our pleasure, honestly. And um, thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back again with another show next week. This was the health tech hour with me, Steve Reese. Thanks for listening.
2: Summer of 16 Was it love or nicotine That made us mellow On the 35s It was Penny Paradise Just a pretty Little lie And it hit me when I Saw you Hand in hand cold Harbour Never take it easy on the PDA I don't miss you least, not that way But someone better want me like that someday I just can't hate things You're breaking off